بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد اللهم لا علم لنا إلا ما علمتنا إنك أنت العلم الحكيم اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وعملا يا كريم رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل لقدة من لساني يفقه قولي uh, My dear brothers and sisters, uh, those who are here and those who are absent and will listen to the recording later Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh um, all praises belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We praise Him and seek His assistance and seek His forgiveness. And we seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the evil of our souls and the adverse consequences of our deeds. Whomsoever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees guidance upon the none can misguide. And those who Allah misguides the none can guide. And peace and salutations be upon the final messenger, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gather us with him in Jannah. Ameen. I bear witness that there is no one worthy of worship besides one Allah and that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his messenger. Um, from the outset, my dear brothers and sisters, I want to extend um, a sincere apology uh, from myself regarding uh, the change in schedule just for um, obviously this week and the next week so we have a lesson today Tuesday the next lesson will be on Tuesday I know as a result um, we've lost many live attendees because um, you know it uh, the time change has has sort of made things much later uh, for those in some parts of the world um, I sent out um, a message to you all explaining why and um, I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, opens your heart to uh, accepting uh, this apology. I do respect your time um, and I do respect the schedule. This is really, really something uh, beyond my control. Not to say that I have chosen something uh, considering our time together less important. Absolutely not. I really wanted to make this point clear because it's um, you all very close to my heart and the program is close to my heart. And um, we've always said we must respect time and respect each other's time. I know you have a lot going on in your life as well. Um, so uh, please don't take it as something just came up and I chose to drop uh, the Zad class. No, it's something really important and I, I shared my reasoning um, in detail uh, in the email that you got. So um, that's the, the start of today's session, a sincere apology from myself. Uh, in terms of lesson 11, um, at the end of lesson 10, we began discussing the Prophet Wasallam's guidance uh, with regards to uh, salah. And um, in terms of my notes, um, that particular portion started uh, on page 23 and uh, Hisham uh, read for us, uh, Walillahi alhamd. Um, and uh, at the beginning of today's session, I want him to continue, inshallah, from where we left off uh, and to continue reading until page, um, bismillah, let me get to it very quickly, until page 51. So, Yisham, if you could just take note of that, a nice, clear, quick-styled uh, reading till page 51. Uh, a lot of what we'll be taking uh, over today and what we've taken in the last session and even in the upcoming sessions are related to Salah. But let's just get through um, the discussion uh, related to uh, the compulsory prayers and then inshallah uh, we will shed some light ta'ala, um, on that taken um, in a way conducive to the objectives of the class uh, that we have set and um, in a way conducive to the scope of this particular gathering. So if I could just pass it on to uh, Akhi Hisham. Uh, Barakallahu feekum.
بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين May Allah shower his blessings and his mercy upon the writer of this book upon the teacher upon the reader and upon all those who are listening and learning Amin ya Rabbil Alameen We are starting on page 29 of Zadul Ma'ad Provisions for the Hereafter Chapter as for the Dhuhr prayer, sometimes he used to prolong his recitation in it so much that Abu Sa'id anhu said, The Dhuhr prayer would begin and a person could go to Al-Baqi' and take care of his affairs and return to his family, make ablution, return and still find the Prophet in the first rak'ah due to the length of his recital, narrated by Muslim. Sometimes he would recite something of the length of Surah Sajda and sometimes Surah Al-A'la, Surah Al-Layl and Surah Al-Buruj. As for the Asr prayer, his recitation therein would be half that of the Dhuhr prayer recitation, if that recitation was long and the same as it if it was short. As for the Maghrib prayer, his guidance therein contradicts the practice of the people today, for he prayed it once reciting therein Surah Al-A'raf, divided between the two rak'ahs, and once he recited Surah Al-Tur and Surah Al-Mursalat. As for the continual practice of reciting short surahs from Al-Mufassal, it was a practice introduced by Marwan ibn al-Hakam, and due to this, Zayd ibn Thabit anhu reproved him. Ibn Abd al-Barr said, It has been narrated that the Prophet wasallam recited in the Maghrib prayer, Surah Al-A'raf divided between the two rak'ahs, Surah Al-Dukhan and Surah Al-A'la. Surah Al-Teen, the Mu'awwidatan, and Surah Al-Mursalat. And this is well known and also that he used to recite the short, the short surahs from Al-Mufassal. And all of these reports are authentic and well known. As for the last Isha, the Maghrib prayer being known as the first Isha, he used to recite therein Surah Al-Teen and he taught Mu'adh anhu to recite Surah Al-Shams, Surah Al-A'la and Surah Al-Layl and other such surahs. That is why he rebuked him for reciting Surah Al-Baqarah in Isha and he said to him, Are you one of those who put, who put the people to trial, O Mu'adh? Peckers have concentrated on this word and they paid no attention to what came before it or what came after it, i.e. to the context. As for the Friday prayer, he used to recite Surah Al-Jumu'ah and Surah Al-Munafiqoon or Surah Al-A'la and Surah Al-Ghashiyah. As for restricting oneself to the final verses of the two surahs, he never did that. As for the Eid prayers, he used to recite therein Surah Qaf and Surah Al-Qamar completely. Or sometimes he would recite Surah Al-A'la and Surah Al-Ghashiyah. And he remained upon this guidance until he met Allah, the Almighty, the All-Powerful. Due to this, the caliphs acted upon it, and Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu recited Surah Al-Baqarah in the Fajr prayer until he made the taslim just before the sun rose, and Umar radiallahu anhu after him recited it in recited in it Surah Yusuf and Surah An-Nahl, and he also recited Surah Hud and Surah Bani Israel and the like. As for the saying of the Prophet ﷺ, if any of you is leading the people in prayer, he should make it light. It must be referred to the practice of the Prophet ﷺ, not to the desires of those being led in prayer. And his guidance, and that is his habitual practice, is the judge in all matters in which there is a disagreement. He did not designate any particular surah which was to be read to the exclusion of all others, except in the Friday prayer and Eid prayers. It was part of his guidance وسلم, to recite a surah and he might recite it in both rak'ahs. But as for the recitation of the end of the surahs or the middle of them, that has not been recorded from him. As for reciting two surahs in one rak'ah, he used to do that in the supero- supererogatory prayers. 
And as for the recitation of one surah in both rak'ahs, that is the least that he would do. And he would make the first rak'ah longer than the second rak'ah in all of his prayers, and it is possible that he may prolong it so that he would not hear the sound of footsteps, thus enabling latecomers to catch the prayers. Once he had completed his recitation, he would raise his hands and say Allahu Akbar as he bowed, and he would place the palms of his hands on his knees as if he were grasping them, and he would stretch out his arms and hold them away from his sides, and he spread his back and kept it level, and he would be at ease in his position, in this position, and he would neither raise his head nor let it drop, but kept it level with his back. Whilst in ruku' he would say Subhan Rabbil Azim, glorified be my Lord the Most Great. And sometimes he would say with it or instead of it, Subhanakallahumma Rabbana wa bihamdika Allahumma ghfirli. Glory be to you, O Allah, my, our Lord, and praises are for you, forgive me. As a rule, his ruku' would last for as long as it takes to, to say tasbih. As a rule, his ruku' would last for as long as it takes to say tasbih ten times as was his sujood. But sometimes he would make the length of his bowing and prostration the same as that of his standing. But he only used to do that sometimes during the night prayer. So his guidance in most cases was to make his prayer balanced and even. He also used to say in ruku' subbuh quddus rabbul malaikati wal ruh most glorified, most holy, Lord of the angels and the spirit, i.e. Jibreel alayhi salam. And sometimes he would say, Allahumma laka raka'at wa bika amant wa laka aslamt khasha' laka sam'i wa basari wa mukhi wa azami wa asabi. Which means, O oh Allah, to you I have bowed and in you I have believed and to you I have submitted my hearing, my sight, my brain, my bones and my nerves are humbled before you. But this has only been reported from him in the night prayer. Then he would raise his head saying, Allahu liman hamidah. Verily Allah listens to one who praises him. And he would raise his hands and he would always straighten his back when he stood up from bowing. And between the two sajdas and he would say, Prayer in which a man does not straighten his back in ruku' and sujood is not accepted narrated by Ibn Khuzayma in his sahih. Once he had straightened up from bowing, he would say, Rabbana wa lakal hamd. Our Lord and to you all praise and thanks are due. And sometimes he might say, Allahumma Rabbana lakal hamd. O Allah, our Lord, to you all praise and thanks are due. But as for combi combining Allahumma and the letter wow, this is not correct. It was part of his guidance, sallallahu alayhi wa that he would prolong this pillar of the prayer to a length of time equivalent to that of the ruku'. And it has been authentically reported from him that he would say in it, Allahumma Rabbana lakal hamda mil as samawati wa mil al ard. وَمِلْ أَمَا بَيْنَهُمَا وَمِلْ أَمَا شِئْتَ مِنْ شَيْءٍ بَعْدْ أَهْلَ الثَّنَاءِ وَالْمَجْدِ أَحَقُّ مَا قَالَ الْعَبْدِ وَكُلُّنَا لَكَ عَبْدِ لَا مَانِعَ لِمَا أَعْطَيْتِ وَلَا مُعْطِيَ لِمَا مَنَعْتِ وَلَا يَنْفَعُ ذَا الْجِدِّ مِنْكَ الْجِدِّ O oh Allah, our Lord, to you do, are due all praise and thanks, filling the heavens, filling the earth and whatever in between them. And filling whatever else you wish, Lord of the glory and majesty, this is the most truthful thing that any slave may say. And we are all slaves to you. None can withhold what you have and not what you give, and none can give what you withhold. Nor can the possessions of an owner benefit him before you. And it has been authentically reported from him that he used to say therein, Allahumma ghsilli min khatayaya bil ma'i wa thalji wal barad, wa naqini min adhunubi wal khataya kama yunaqqa thawbul abyadu min addanas, wa ba'id bayni wa bayna khatayaya kama ba'atta bayna al-mashriqi wal maghrib. O oh Allah, cleanse me of sins as a white garment is cleansed of dirt. O 
O Allah, purify me from my sins by ice, water and hail. O Allah, purify me from misdeeds and sins as a white garment is purified from dirt. And make the distance between me and my sins as great as you have made the distance between the east and the west. And it has been authentically reported from him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that he used to repeat therein, Rabbi alhamdul, Rabbi alhamd. All praise and thanks to my Lord, all praise and thanks to my Lord. So that it was the same length as his ruku'ah. Muslim has reported on the authority of Anas radiallahu anhu when the Prophet when the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Sami'allahu liman hamidah, he would remain standing until we would say he has forgotten. Then he would prostrate and sit between the prostrations, between the two prostrations, until we would say he has forgotten. So this was the well-known guidance of the Prophet ﷺ. As for the shortening of these two pillars, it was done by the leaders from among Banu Umayyah until the people thought that it is a part of the Sunnah. Chapter Then he would make the takbir and prostrate without raising his hands. And he used to place his knees on the ground and then his hands after them, then his forehead and his nose. This is what is correct, for the part of him which was placed on the ground first was the part of him which was nearest to it, then the next nearest. The first part of him to be lifted from the ground was the highest part of him, and then the next highest. So when he rose, he would lift his head first, then his hands, then his knees, and this is the opposite of the action of the camel, and he prohibited imitating animals in prayer. He prohibited lowering oneself to the ground in the same way that a camel does, glancing around the way a fox does, spreading the arms the way a beast of prey does, in the manner of a dog, iqa'a, in the manner of a dog, pecking the ground as a, crow, as a crow does, and raising the hands like the tails of wild horses when making the taslim. He used to prostrate upon his forehead and his nose below the winding of his turban, and it has not been reported from him that he used to prostrate on it. He used to prostrate on the earth much and on water and mud and on a khumrah made from date palm leaves and on a hasir made from them and on a tanned farwa. When he prostrated he would place his forehead and his nose firmly on the ground and spread his palms on either side of him and he would keep his arms away from his sides until the white of his armpits could be seen. He used to place his hands at the level of his shoulders and his ears and he would be at ease in his prostration and he would face the tips of his toes towards the qibla and he would place his hands and his fingers flat on the ground without spreading them nor clenching them. While prostrating he would say Subhana Rabbi al-A'la Glorified be my Lord the Most High and he would also say Subhanakallahumma Rabbana wa bihamdik Allahumma ghfirli Wallah, our Lord, glory and praise be to you, O Allah, forgive me. And he would say, Subbuhun Quddusun Rabbul Malaikati Warruh, Most glorified, most holy, Lord of the angels and the spirit. And he used to say, Allahumma laka sajadtu wa bika amantu wa laka aslamt. Sajada wajhiya lilladhi khalaqahu wa sawwarah, wa shakka sam'ahu wa basarah. Tabarakallahu ahsanul khaliqeen. O Allah, for you I have prostrated, in you I have believed, to you I have submitted. My face has prostrated for the one who created it and shaped it, then brought forth its hearing and sight. Blessed be Allah, the best of creators. And he would say, Allahumma ghfirli dhambi kullahu diqqahu wa jullahu wa awwalahu wa akhirah wa alaniyatahu wa sirrah. O Allah, forgive me all my sins, the minor and the major, the first and the last, the apparent and the hidden. And he used to say, 
اللهم اغفر لي خطاياي وجهلي وإسرافي في أمري وما أنت أعلم به مني اللهم اغفر لي جدي وهزلي وخطاياي وعمدي وكل ذلك عندي وكل ذلك عندي اللهم اغفر لي ما قدمت وما أخرت وما أسررت وما أعلنت وما, وما أعلنت أنت إلهي لا إله إلا أنت والله forgive me my mistakes and my ignorance and my extravagance for you know them better than I والله forgive me my serious mistakes and those made in jest and my my unintentional and my intentional mistakes and all those and all of these are in me oh Allah forgive me my sins in the past and in the in the future and those which I concealed and those which I committed openly you are my ilah and has the right to be worshipped except you and he ordered the companions عنهم, to strive much in supplication when prostrating saying verily it is most worthy to be answered for you chapter then he would raise his head saying Allahu Akbar without raising his hands and he would sit mufterishan laying the left foot along the ground and sitting on it with his right foot upright and placing his hands on his thighs and placing his right elbow on his thigh and the edge of his right hand on his knee and he would make a fist with his fingers and make a circle with his thumb and forefinger and he would raise his forefinger and supplicate with it moving it up and down and saying Allahumma ghfirli warhamni wahdini warzuqni O oh Allah, forgive me, have mercy on me, guide me and sustain me. This is how this was how it was described by Ibn Abbas anhu, from the Prophet Hudayfa anhu reported from him that he used to say, Rabbi my Lord forgive me. Then he would stand up on the tips of his toes, supporting himself on his thighs. Once he was upright he would begin reciting and he would not observe a silence as he did when opening the prayer. Then he would pray the second rak'ah as he did the first except in four things. Firstly, the short period of silence. Secondly, the opening of the prayer. Thirdly, the opening takbirah. And fourthly, the prolonging of it. Then when he sits for the, tash- the, the tashahud, he would place his left hand on his left thigh and his right hand on his right thigh. And he would point with his right index finger and he would not raise it high. Nor would he hold it down. But he would bend it sl- slightly and move it clenching the little finger and the ring finger and making a circle with the middle finger and the thumb and raising the forefinger and supplicating with it and he would fix his gaze upon it and he would spread out the left palm on his left thigh and he would rest on it as for the description of his sitting it was the same as that between the prostrations as mentioned previously as for the hadith of Ibn Zubair narrated by Muslim when he sat in prayer he would place his left foot between his thigh and his shin laying his right foot flat. This was in the final tashahud. Ibn Zubair said that he used to lay the right foot flat, while Abu Humaid said that he raised it. But this, and Allah knows better, is not a difference of opinion, because he used to sit on it. Indeed, he used to push it out from his right side, so that it was between being raised and being flat. Or it was said he used to do this and this, he used to raise it, and perhaps sometimes he laid it flat. And that is more relaxing for the feet. He would always make the tashahud in his sitting, in this sitting, and he taught his companions عنهم, to say, Attahiyatu lillahi wa salawatu wa tayyibat. Assalamu alayka ayyuhan nabiyu wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Assalamu alayna wa ala ibadillahi salihin. Ashadu an la ilaha illa Allah wa ashadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh. All the compliments, prayers, and good tidings, good things are due to Allah. Peace be upon you, O Prophet, and Allah's mercy and blessings. Peace be upon us and upon 
upon the righteous slaves of Allah. I bear witness that none has the right to be worshipped but Allah, and I bear witness that Muhammad is his slave and his messenger. And he used to make it very light, as if he was praying on a hot stone. It has not been transmitted from him in any hadith, ever, that he used to send prayers on himself and on his family in it. Nor did he seek refuge in it from the punishment of the grave, nor, nor the punishment of the fire, nor the trial of life and death, nor the trial of Al-Masih al-Dajjal. And if anyone recommended it, it was only due to his understanding of general evidences, which clear, clearly referred to the final tashahud. Then he would stand up saying Allahu Akbar on the tips of his toes and, and on his knees, supporting himself with his hands on his thighs. In Sahih Muslim and in some roots reported by Al-Bukhari, it is mentioned that he used to raise his hands at this point, then he would recite Surah Al-Fatiha alone, and it has not been confirmed that he used to recite anything else in the final two rak'ahs. It was not a part of his guidance to look hither and thither during the prayer. In Sahih al-Bukhari, it is reported that he was asked about it and he said, It is stealing. Satan steals from the prayer of, his sla of the slave. Sometimes he would do it in the prayer due to some abnormal circumstance which was not a customary action for him, such as when he looked towards the mountain pass where he, he who sent the reconnoiture, and Allah knows better, after the tashahud and before the taslim, he would supplicate and he ordered his companions عنهم, to do likewise in the hadith of Abu Hurairah and the hadith of Fadala. As for the supplication of the taslim after the taslim whilst facing the qibla or those who are being led in prayer, that has no basis in his guidance. In general, he only performed the supplications connected with prayer during the prayer and he ordered his companions عنهم, to do likewise. And that is what befits the situation of the worshipper, because he is approaching his Lord and once he makes the taslim that is lost. Then he would make the taslim to his right saying Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Then he would do likewise to his left. This was his customary practice, but it has been narrated from him that he used to make one taslim in front of his face, but it has, this has not been confirmed. The best hadith which exists in this matter is that of Aisha which is in the Sunan but it is with regard to standing in prayer at night and it has some weakness in it because it does not clearly state that he made only one taslim. He used to supplicate during his prayers saying Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min a'dhab al-qabr wa a'udhu bika min fitnati al-masih al-dajjal wa a'udhu bika min fitnati al-mahya wal-mamat Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al Wallah, I seek refuge with you from the punishment of the grave and I seek refuge with you from the trial of Al-Masih al-Dajjal and I seek refuge with you from the trial of life and death Wallah, I seek refuge, refuge with you from sin and debt He also used to say in his prayers Allahumma ghfir li dhanbi wa wasi' li fi dari wa barik li fi ma razaqtani Wallah, forgive me my sins and widen for me my abode and bless me in that, which, that by which you sustain me and he used to say, Allahumma inni as'aluka thabata fil amr, wal azimata ala rushd, wa as'aluka shukra, shukra ni'matik, wa husna ibadatik, wa as'aluka qalban salima, wa as'aluka lisanan sadiqa, wa as'aluka min khayri ma ta'lam, wa a'udhu bika min sharri ma ta'lamu, wa astaghfiruka lima ta'lam. Wallah, I ask that you make me firm in the affair of my religion. And that you make me constant in integrity and I ask you that you make me thankful for your blessings and make me to worship you in the best way. And I ask you for a sound heart and I ask you for a truthful tongue and I ask you to give me from what you know to be good and I seek refuge with you from what you know to be evil and I seek forgiveness what you know. 
and all of the supplications in prayer which have been preserved are in the form of the first person singular. When he stood in prayer, he would lower his head according to Imam Ahmad, and when making the tashahud, he would not extend his gaze beyond his pointing finger. Allah made him find joy and peace in prayer, and he used to say, O Bilal, gladden us with the prayer. But this did not prevent him from observing those whom he led in prayer, in spite of the complete presence of his heart in the prayer. He used to enter the prayer wishing to prolong it, but would hear the cry of a child and shorten it, fearful that he would burden his mother. Similarly, he would offer an obligatory prayer holding Umama, his, عنها, his granddaughter, on his shoulder. When he stood up, he would carry her, and when he bowed or prostrated, he would put her down. And he would pray, and Al-Hasan and Al-Husayn would come and climb his back. So he would prolong his prostration, disliking to throw them off his back. And he would pray, and Aisha would come, and he would open the door for her, then return to his place and prayer of prayer. And he used to return salutations of peace by indicating with his hand. As for the hadith which says, states, Whoever indicated with his hand during his prayer must repeat it, it is baseless. He used to blow during his prayer according to Imam Ahmad, and he would cry during it and he would clear his throat when necessary. Sometimes he would pray barefoot and other times wearing shoes, and he ordered his companions عنهم, to pray in their shoes in order to be different from the Jews. Sometimes he would pray wearing a single garment and sometimes two garments, and this was more common. He performed qunut in the Fajr prayers after the ruku' for a month, then he stopped it. And his qunut was due to some temporary circumstances, and once they had been lifted, he would stop it. His guidance was to perform qunut due to some particular calamities, and not to do so when there were none, and he did not perform it only during the Fajr prayer. Indeed, most of his qunut was performed during it, due to its being prescribed to make it long and due to it being close to early dawn, the sahar, and the time when supplication is answered and the time of Allah's descent. Chapter It has been confirmed from him وسلم, that he said, I am only a human being like you. I forget as you do, so if I forget, remind me. And his forgetfulness was a completion of Allah's favor upon his community and the perfection of their religion in order that they may emulate him. For he stood up after praying two rak'ahs of a four rak'ah prayer. And when he had completed his prayer, he prostrated before making the taslim. From which it was inferred that whoever leaves a portion of the prayer which is not a pillar, a rukun, should prostrate for it before making the taslim. It has also been taken from some sources that if he that if he f- forgot that and had be- begun a pillar, he would not return to it. And he made the taslim after praying two rak'ahs of one of the afternoon prayers. Then he spoke, then he completed it. Then he made the taslim after which he prostrated, then made the taslim again. And he prayed and made the taslim and left while one rak'ah remained of the prayer. And Talha radiallahu anhu said to him, you have forgotten a rak'ah. So he entered the mosque and ordered Bilal radiallahu anhu to call the iqamah. And the people prayed one rak'ah narrated by Ahmed. And he prayed five rak'ahs in the Dhuhr prayer and they said, you have prayed five. So he prostrated after making the taslim. And he prayed three rak'ahs in the Asr prayer, then entered his house and the people reminded him. So he went out and prayed one rak'ah with him with them. Then he made the taslim, then he prostrated, then he made the taslim again. This is the total of what has been reported from him in this matter. And there are five situations. It was not a part of his guidance to close his eyes in prayer and this was disliked by Ahmad and others for they said it is one of the actions of the Jews. A number of scholars permitted it but the correct view is that keeping them open is better if it does not detract from the required humility of prayer. 
But if it prevents one from achieving humility due to the presence of ornaments and other things which distract the worshipper, then it is not disliked. After making the taslim, he would seek forgiveness three times, saying Astaghfirullah. Then he would say, Allahumma anta salamu wa minka salamu tabarakta ya dal jalali wal ikram. Wallah, you are peace, and from you comes peace. Most blessed are you, O owner of majesty and honor. And he would not remain facing the Kaaba for longer than it took to say this, but would hasten to turn towards the worshippers. And he would turn to his right and to his left, then he would face towards the worshippers in front of him, and he would not single out any particular direction in preference to the others. When he offered the Fajr prayer, he would remain in the place in which he had prayed until the sun had completely risen. And at the end of his obligatory prayers, he would say, لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له None has the right to be worshipped except Allah alone. Without partners, His is the dominion, and to Him are due all praise and thanks, and He is able to do all things. Allahumma la mani'a lima a'tayta wa la mu'atiya lima mana'at wa la yanfa'u dhal jiddi minka al-jidd wa la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah la ilaha illa Allah wa la na'budu illa iyyah lahu al-ni'matu وله الفضل وله الثناء الحسن لا إله إلا الله مخلصين له الدين ولو كره الكافرون والله there is none who can withhold what you have given and there is none who can give what you withhold nor can the possessions of an owner benefit him in front of you and there is no power and no strength save in Allah none has the right to be worshipped except Allah and we worship none save him all blessings and bounty belong to him and all the beautiful praises are due to him None has the right to be worshipped except Allah with sincerity towards him in religion, even though the polytheists may detest it. And he encouraged his people to say at the end of the obligatory prayers, SubhanAllah, 33 times, Alhamdulillah, 33 times, Allahu Akbar, 33 times. And to complete the hundred by saying, La ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika lah. None has the right to be worshipped except Allah alone. Without partners, His is the dominion, and to Him are due all praise and thanks, and He is able to do all things. Ibn Hibban reported in his Sahih on the authority of Al Harith ibn Muslim that he said, The Messenger of Allah وسلم, said, If you offer the Fajr prayer before speaking, say, Allahumma ajirni min an nar, Allah protect me from the fire. Seven times. And if you died during that day, Allah will ordain for you protection from the fire. And if you offer the Maghrib prayer before speaking, say, Allahumma ajirni min nar O Allah, protect me from the fire. Seven times. And if you died during that day, Allah will ordain from you for you protection from the fire. If he prayed towards a wall, he would leave the distance sufficient for a sheep to pass between him and the wall. And he would not stand far from it. Indeed, he ordered his companions, radiallahu anhum, to move close to the sutra. If he prayed towards a stick, a pillar or a tree, he would place it slightly to his right side or his left side and he would not stand directly in front of it. He would plant <coughs> he would plant his spear in the ground when traveling or in the desert and pray towards it and that would be his sutra. And he would place his riding camel and pray towards it and he would make and he would take the saddle, place it straight and pray towards the end of it. He ordered the worshipper to pray towards a sutra, even it be an arrow or a stick, and if he did not find one, he should draw a line on the ground. If there was no sutra, it has been authentically reported from him that he said, A woman, a donkey, and a black dog passing in front of the worshipper cuts off the prayer. Anything which contradicts this is either authentic but unclear, or clear but inauthentic. 
He used to pray when Aisha anha was sleeping in his qibla, but this is not the same as a person passing in front of him. For it is unlawful for a man to pass in front of a worshipper, but it is not disliked for him to remain in front of a worshipper in prayer. Jazakumullah khairan wa al-afu minkum. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Okay, barakallahu fikum Hisham. Jazakallah khairan for that. Um, MashaAllah, um, you worked hard today, alhamdulillah. But um, your voice lasted and we could hear you sipping away, alhamdulillah. It was making us feel thirsty as well. <laughs> Um, طيب, uh, brothers and sisters, so we've actually, alhamdulillah, reached uh, page uh, 51, alhamd, and we've covered uh, the matters related to um, uh, worship as a whole, meaning salah as a whole, right? Salah as a whole, and in particular the compulsory uh, matters pertaining to salah. Now, as we said, this is not a fiqh course, um, and... You know, this is uh, a course to enlighten you, but nonetheless, um, you know, uh, stick to that which you have been taught. Stick to that which you have been taught by your reputable scholars uh, that look after the fiqhi matters, your fiqhi matters, your matters of worship uh, based on the madhab uh, that you follow. Uh, but nonetheless become enlightened by this. Now just a few points on page uh, 33. Um, the reading of the dua is Allahumma rabbana lakal hamd mil'a samawat wa mil'a al-ard wa mil'a ma baynahuma wa mil'a ma shi'ta min shay'in ba'd. Ahla al-thana'i wal majd ahaqqu ma qala al-abd wa kulluna laka abd la mani'a lima a'atayt wa la mu'atiya lima mana'at wa la yinfa'u dhal jaddi minka al-jadd. Okay, وَلَا يَنْفَعُ ذَا الْجَدِّ مِنْكَ الْجَدِّ So, uh, in case there was a cut-off in transmission, uh, Allah knows best. Um, I'm repeating that dua for your uh, benefit. I'm just getting some messages here saying that it's not very clear. Bismillah. Let's see what's happened. Um, I have my microphone settings as they were. Um... It's on number one. I can't uh, lower it anymore. Perhaps everyone can. If I lower it anymore, you won't hear me. Uh, so can I ask you to reduce the volume on your end, please? MashaAllah. I mean, it's uh, pretty amazing, this online classroom. That even on level one, uh, it sounds pretty clear. And unless somebody else's microphone is on, um, there's nothing else I can do, inshallah. Okay, so uh, we've heard a lot, just some quick lessons, brothers and sisters, from uh, our reading together. Firstly, is we, we, we learn how detailed, how detailed the life of Rasulullah is, and, and how detailed the documentation of his life is. And by Allah, you won't find another man. I, I don't think you'll find anyone from the beginning of time till the end of time who has his life uh, or her life. Uh, documented as well as the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam's life is documented, right? We know we know everything, subhanallah, everything. You know, if it's matters to do with him behind closed doors, we know it because his wives taught us. Um, when he traveled, he had Sahaba traveling with him, and they narrated every small matter and every big matter that happened during that travel. Um, when he was um, you know, moving around in Medina, so many, you know, there's countless narrations when 
Um, you read the narration, you see he's either with Abu Bakr, or Abu Bakr and, and Umar, or Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman, radiallahu anhum ajma'een. Right? So, um, whatever happened even in those movements within Medina, uh, or within Mecca, um, we have details about it. If we talk about the Hijrah, even though it was such a secretive affair, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose a siddiq Abu Bakr radiallahu to be his companion. And we have critical details, right? Pertaining to some of the most intricate parts of that hijrah, right? Uh, that make us, you know, that, that, that really allows us to even imagine it in our minds when we read it. You know, today, subhanAllah, some museums have actual sculptures and, and uh, displays um, explaining the hijrah. Right? And the reason why this can be done is because there's enough detail. There's enough detail that, you know, um, uh, allows for uh, these processes to take place. So, the life of Rasulullah is extremely documented. And this is one of the first things we need to learn from the, the, the reading that we've heard. Right? I mean, we've heard every small, you know, matters which you would not even, perhaps, you know, we would not even consider a matter. Um, we find the Sahaba radiallahu anhum ajma'in, they considered it a matter. For example, he used to clear his throat in salah. For example, his, his sujood was longer one day. And, uh, you know, they found out that it's because his grandchildren were on top of him. So they even picked up that today the sujood is long. Right? Well, we're not talking about big matters like, for example, the four units of prayer became three uh, because he forgot a unit of prayer and then after that he did the sujood, he, he completed it and did the sujood and so on and so forth. Those are matters that, you know, we'd pick up on. But we're talking about matters that perhaps you and I would not have any acute focus uh, on. You know, we'd say, um, he cleared his throat, is this, uh, you know, would it even cross our minds as, as a highlight? Well, in the minds of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum ajma'een, it passed their minds as a highlight. So this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. By inspiring the best people to have an acute focus on everything he did sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Right? Um, and this is a lesson. This is a lesson, no doubt, from all the different uh, mentions uh, that we have seen. Sometimes he prayed salah this way, sometimes he did this, sometimes he recited this, sometimes he recited that. Uh, he never uh, encouraged the recitation of, of the longer surahs. For example, in Salatul Isha, rather he would read uh, this surah or that surah and through surahs which are similar. Right? Uh, very, very detailed, walillahi alhamd. And uh, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he teaches us to pray as we've seen him pray. Right? Pray as you see me pray. Right? And we have enough detail to actually vision uh, that particular prayer, the prayer of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gather us with him in Jannah. Ameen. The other thing, my dear brothers and sisters, is uh, that at that time, fiqh, was not as fiqh is known now, okay? So at that time, it wasn't a case where, you know, salah was being taught and it was being said, right, these are the arkan or the pillars of the salah, and these are the wajibat and the conditions, and these are the mustahabbat and the recommended acts, right? And these are the disliked acts, and these are the forbidden acts, right? Uh, rather, um, the sahaba radiallahu anhum ajma'een, they understood these acts from this acute monitoring, of the actions of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and then uh, his teachings sallallahu alaihi wasallam, meaning his verbal teachings, 
which means that the Sahaba radiallahu anhum ajma'een, they learned from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam through observation, uh, as well as through um, the things that he said, uh, and the things that he said might have happened because of questions that they asked, or might have happened um, from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam himself, without any questions being asked, or without there being a circumstance that necessitated and mandated that he, he, say, uh, he, uh, that, that he uh, would say something in that particular circumstance, right? So, uh, we learn from this how we should better our um, abilities to acquire knowledge, and that uh, that knowledge acquisition should come about through observation as well as through listening uh, and seeing uh, and so on and so forth. And you know the famous statement goes, and we've said this before in this session, in, in this session I, I, if I recall correctly, that the speed of light is faster than the speed of sound. So people are going to see you before they hear you. Right? And uh, also when people see you, there's far more senses being used. Right? Um, because they see you and they can hear you, um, and then you know the brain captures that, processes it, and so on and so forth. Um, it, it's far more effective than just being given a verbal presentation, right? And that's why today, even when we teach our children and teach in the da'wah and 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 run you know our da'wah conferences or da'wah workshops and so on and so forth, uh, we should. Uh, take into consideration this point that how can we make the session uh, more interactive and especially interactive through the process of engaging more more senses of the students and those that are going to receive the knowledge that we're trying to share. This is important. Now, one of the issues with virtual learning is this. I mean, our lessons right now are happening in a virtual classroom. And today we live in an age that is big on distance learning or virtual learning, right? Um, so most of it is done via virtual classrooms. We sit in a classroom together or we watch a video, we read a book, and we're processing things ourselves and then we move forward to take on exams and complete diplomas or degrees and so on and so forth. Uh, but one of the issues definitely comes about with regards to this particular point, the whole process of seeing. Although it can be mitigated today because alhamdulillah we have video and so on and so forth. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not this or that. Um, but it's definitely, um, the, the pros and cons uh, definitely exist upon both ends of the spectrum, whether we say on-site learning or online learning. But the point is, my dear brothers and sisters, if we make our learning online, then we should bolster that particular process by filling it with as many visuals as we can. Lucrative visuals, of course, conducive visuals, of course, visuals which have an impact. I'm not saying we should busy ourselves just flooding things for the sake of it. But appreciate from uh, how much detail we have from the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam just because of his companions observing him. Appreciate how powerful um, observance-based learning uh, is. So, for example, if you're going to teach, um, you know, for example, you teach salah, uh, online, then try and, and bring about a, a situation and circumstance where there's visuals, there's videos that people can watch. Alhamdulillah, now we live in the day of e-books and so on and so forth. It's pretty amazing. Right? I was fortunate to work on a project for, uh, teaching new Muslims um, the basics of salah and fasting and zakah and hajj. Uh, just the basics. But subhanAllah, it was, it was in an e-book format and, um, you know, they would open a page and on that page there'd be a link to a video on YouTube or a link to a PDF somewhere else, 
uh, or a link to some photos uploaded somewhere and they could hit the photo. It is a high definition photo. The photo opens, you can twist it, you can turn it, you can expand it. You know, it really, it's not really, <laughs> um, at the end of it, we, you know, we said that this is not about reading a book. This is about going through an experience. So take this lesson to point, my dear brothers and sisters, um, the importance of engaging as many senses as possible uh, when we uh, learn. Um, we also learn from this, my dear brothers and sisters, the importance of following the sunnah as close as we can. This is what the Sahaba radiallahu anhum wanted. It wasn't just a case of watching him with a hawk eye so we can tell people what he did. No, it's so that firstly we can put it into practice and pray as he prayed because he told us to pray as he prayed. And this applies to everything else. Right? Outside of the scope of salah. Because if this is the case with the most important thing, which is salah, then what do you think should be the case with the other matters? Right? Um, because they all fall under the concept of worship. And worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has to be done based upon the mandates and teachings of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And as we've said before, today we belittle a sunnah because it's a sunnah. But the companions, radiallahu anhum ajma'een, they uh, glorified it because it was a sunnah. They did it because he did it, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and they knew that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, uh, commanded him to do it. So, coming back to the earlier point, fiqh now, as it evolved, um, is different to how fiqh was then. It definitely evolved into a science, and, and now we know the conditions of, 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 of different acts, uh, the recommended functions of different acts, uh, the disliked uh, matters and the haram matters and so on and so forth. Um, and uh, all this is taken definitely from the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam to help make matters easy for us. The Sahaba radiallahu anhum ajma'in, they were definitely skilled in the Arabic language uh, and they were skilled in terms of receiving uh, the revelation. So it's not that they just underst- uh, they knew how to speak it, but they could understand the nuances. So it wasn't a case whereby uh, they were taught this is a wajib and this is a sunnah, but they understood it. They understood, you know, what rendered your prayer invalid. They understood what um, mandated sujood al-saho to save the prayer, right? They understood that, you know, those things which are not a big deal, it's better to do, but not a big deal if you don't, right? They understood it from the observance of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and from um, uh, their understanding of the text, right? Given their rich uh, Arabic uh, abilities and obviously uh, without mentioning the great uh, teaching ability of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. The other thing to note, my dear brothers and sisters, is that Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. I mean, for those who are following, and as I said, so that we become enlightened. It shouldn't be a case that we pray salah in a particular way, so we belittle those who pray it in a different way. As you can see here, um, the you know uh, the documentation of his salah is uh, is is you know of of a very high level. So you, you know the author is going through that. He sometimes placed his hands here, sometimes he placed it there, sometimes he recited this, sometimes he recited that, sometimes he sat this way. Sometimes he sat another way. And you know, we learn from this um, acceptable differences of opinion. Right? Because how, whichever way you do it, it still boils down to uh, something which Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa did. And this teaches us to be more forbearing. Today, uh, we find certain elements uh, being very difficult 
with the Ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam only because a person sat a particular way in salah and not uh, the way this person sits. Or for example, he placed his hands below his navel and not on his chest or on his stomach and not below his navel and so on and so forth, right? Uh, we find people becoming a bit difficult, uh, becoming a bit severe and stern uh, for a matter which the Sharia uh, has kept wide and, and, and easy. Right? So as you can see from, from this uh, reading that we've just had, that the documentation is detailed and it all goes back to the Prophet ﷺ. So if somebody prays with his hands on his stomach or places it on his chest or places it below his navel or sits in one way or the other way as we find attributed to the Prophet ﷺ, um, <laughs> you, you might smile if I say this, but let me just say it. It shouldn't be a means uh, for us to develop high blood pressure. <laughs> You know, uh, develop high blood pressure and, and cholesterol and, and the like. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us uh, from this. So uh, this reading should enlighten us. And uh, when we become enlightened, then indeed we should become uh, more um, uh, lenient with the Ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So this is another point. Another point from the reading that we take, my dear brothers and sisters, is how to make the masjid the most beloved place uh, for all elements of the Muslim society. Right? Um, it's very, very important that the masjid is not a place that is detested by the young, for example. Now, we, uh, we learn this from, from, from a simple mention or citation in the text that we just had. The fact that Rasulullah would prolong the sujood if his grandchildren had jumped on his back. It wasn't a case where, oh, it, you know, it's a hard and fast rule, now I've got to get them off, throw them off, discipline them, you know, embarrass them, make a scene out of them. No. He just prolonged the sujood. Look at this fiqh. Right? Amazing. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. May Allah gather us with him in Jannah. Wallahi. So, this is how merciful the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was to young boys. Right? Um, and, 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 you know, subhanallah. Oh, what an amazing man he was. Uh, wallahi, we can, we can only make dua to Allah to forgive us and gather us with him in Jannah. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So, the masjid should be a beloved place, my dear brothers and sisters. It shouldn't be a place that, you know, uh, doesn't serve uh, the purpose of the community. You know, it shouldn't be there, but we have the females of the community not benefiting. Uh, whilst you have the masjid in, uh, over there, it shouldn't be a case where the children are not benefiting. When you have the masjid over there, the masjid is the hub of all success. Uh, it's, it's the hub that uh, the radiance emanates from and should become stronger from so that it then spreads across and, 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 and falls over to the rest of the community and makes the rest of the community strong as well. This is very important, my dear brothers and sisters. Now, some of us run masjids. Uh, may Allah forgive us uh, for those who are sitting on masjid uh, committee boards. You know, we run masjids as if it's a business from one of our businesses, right? Uh, we run masjids as if it's it's a it's it's a business from one of our businesses, and this is wrong, my dear brothers and sisters. If you have been blessed by Allah to be part of a, a board or a committee of a masjid, make the masjid inclusive, not exclusive. Right? Uh, in some countries, you know, females don't get the opportunity to learn anything about Islam. And on Jumu'ah, they're still not allowed into the masjid. You know? So this is wrong. Because what's going to happen if you don't, if, 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 if our sisters are not going to get an opportunity to hear about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Um, although now things are better, well, you know, they, they get prevented, but then there's other avenues like the internet. 
but that's not conducive to the imam who's working in that locality. Because now, the, the, the women of that locality are going to be learning their deen from foreigners, who are not sensitive to the situation in the community that this imam is working in. And you're going to have a problem. The best person that everyone in a community should learn from is their imam, their ulama. That is the best person you can learn to, because that scholar is privy and sensitive to the sensitivities that exist uh, in that particular place. And definitely fiqh is not a copy and paste from one region into another region. Fiqh is specific and unique to the religion, that, uh, to the region sorry, that uh, it exists in. Right? So if, if, if we don't open the door to our youth and our, children, uh, our sisters and females to come to the masjid, then, and they're going to be at home, and now, you know, how many homes are free from television? And the television is only going to preach um, matters that attach you to the dunya, you're going to lose elements of the community. You're going to lose the female element, you're going to lose the children, the whole generation is going to, going to go away. Right? And sadly, through some of my travels, I've actually seen this, and that's why I'm highlighting it. And highlighting it also because we've said that this class is especially for those who work in the da'wah. Right? Um, through my travels, I've started to see that masjids are only frequented by old people in some regions. I'm not being stereotyped here or stereo-minded. No. But in some regions, this is a fact. Right? You're not going to get the youth to the masjid. The masjid is the last thing on their mind. So we need to, uh, Abdul Matini is saying, how can we practically implement this in our lives? We need to make the masjid fun. We need to make the masjid relevant. We need to make the masjid the source, the hub. When I say source, not the source that you eat, the S-A-U-C-E source. I, I mean the source, the S-O-U-R. C.E. Uh, right? We need to make the masjid the source. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, when he first went to Medina, the first thing he did was establish the masjid. Masjid al-Nabawi. That's the establishment. This is where all success is going to start from. And we know, brothers and sisters, that the masjid is a place of barakah. It's frequented by angels. Shaitan is far away from this environment. And that is why each and every one of us here, Speaker included, we need to develop within ourselves a love to be in the masjid. And this is for the males especially. For the females when they can go. And obviously when the females do go, they must observe the etiquettes of going. I'm not uh, being loose here, my dear brothers and sisters, uh, and complaining that we don't open our masjid to the sisters. Yes, some communities, the masjids are forced to shut their doors because the sisters are not maintaining the sunnah when they come there. And it becomes a fitna. No, but we're talking about general circumstances, not uh, specific circumstances, okay? So the masjid is definitely a place that we should love to be in, because it's a haven. It makes sense. It's a no-brainer, right? The masjid is a no-brainer. You know, should I have my meeting in my lounge or in the masjid? Hey, it's a no-brainer, let me have it in the masjid. Masjid has barakah. Right? Uh, if I'm planning on studying, should I study at home or in a masjid? In a masjid, no doubt. No doubt. So, what we're saying, brothers and sisters, is um, let's make the masjid accessible. Now, I'm not saying that don't be sensitive to, you know, uh, your region. Sometimes there's a lot of thieving and, 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 and brutality. So, sometimes you've got to shut the masjid between prayers. That's fine. That's an ex- that is a valid excuse, right? Safety and security is important. But I'm talking about places where you don't have to, but we still shut the masjid down. And when we run our programs, we don't adapt and make the programs conducive to uh, the audience that's in front of us. So then they don't come back for the next program. 
right? So we need to move with the times, my dear brothers and sisters, because uh, obviously uh, the means by which we achieve something, as long as it's halal, the Sharia has given it, uh, you know, uh, the elasticity to evolve and be tweaked and change so that it can accommodate and be inclusive, as we said, and not inclusive. So the fact that Rasulullah would delay the sujood and uh, until his grandchildren got out, this is a lesson that the masjid should be fun. These, you know, no child who, you know, went through that experience and never got scolded, uh, for example, and the adults were sensitive to the fact that this is a child, you know, no child went through this and, ever, and, uh, through this and ever hated the masjid. Rather, they wanted to come back to the masjid. So this is a very important point. Also, my dear brothers and sisters, as you've seen, um, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam was very diverse. In his worship, so sometimes he sat this way. Sometimes he, you know, in the, the first tashahud, he sat like this. At the end, he it's reported that he sat like that. Uh, he's, he's reported to have prayed this. In another report, he he prayed this with this addition. In another report, he prayed something else. So what you can see there's there's diversity in the worship of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam in a prayer, and diversity allow uh, diversity increases concentration. Why? Because things stop just being an automated routine. Does that make sense? Right? It stops becoming an automated routine. And because your mind has to engage the prayer, because you're doing something different every time, it breeds better concentration, and better khushu' and contentment. So it shouldn't be a case where you, know, you read the same surah every salah. I know today, what's our famous one? قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَأَى Right? I'm sure you're giggling behind your computer screens. Right? But this is, this is what makes our salah robotic. And sometimes what happens is we end up forgetting which unit of prayer we're in because the salah has become a norm, kind of robotic. The, the spirit of it is lost. And uh, we fail to grow from our salah as we should. Right? So take guidance from the Messenger wasallam and learn different supplications. Sometimes he would start the salah using a supplication. Other times he would use another supplication. Right? So your job is to be diverse. Learn as many different supplications you can learn. So you can be diverse in terms of what you read in the ruku', what you read in sujood, what you read at the beginning of your salah. Right? This is important. And this will help you engage your salah in a better way rather than it just becoming a routine. The other thing, my dear brothers and sisters, uh, that we learn is um, that salah is, is dhikr. Is dhikr. From before the salah, until even after the salah. It's dhikr, right? Uh, think about it, you have the adhan, the adhan is dhikr. You have the iqama, the iqama is dhikr. Right? Uh, then you start the prayer, Allahu Akbar. This is dhikr. After you start, immediately you're reciting. This is all dhikr. You go into ruku, to ruku you recite. You don't just go into ruku. No, you say Allahu Akbar. This dhikr. In the, then in the salah, in the ruku' you, you, you recite. Different supplications. You get up, there's dhikr. You go down in sujood, there's dhikr. The whole salah, from beginning to end, is the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's no period in it where you silent. And daydream or have a moment to think of matters of the dunya. No. You have entered into the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why it's so appropriate and so amazing that, that you start the salah saying, Allahu Akbar. Right? That Allah is greater. This is uh, a technical translation. Right? Although the common translation is Allah is the greatest. So you're saying, you're saying Allah is greater. Allahu Akbar. Greater. 
greater than me, greater than my feelings, greater than my worries, greater than my children, greater than my spouse, greater than my parents, greater than my job, greater than my car, greater than my worries. Allah is greater. That's how you start your salah. By throwing everything else, which is not salah, out of your salah. And keeping everything that is salah inside of your salah. So you say, Allahu Akbar. What an amazing dhikr to begin the salah. And then your journey begins ensuring that from beginning till the end, you remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, and earlier I said, you know, the dhikr is even till after the salah. Because we actually know that after the salah, there's adhkar. And we'll come across it inshallah in, in future reading. Right? So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa would recite certain dhikr after the salah. So even after the salah, there's dhikr. Right? And this should teach us how amazing keeping our tongues moist with the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. You know, just the other day I put out a tweet uh, or on my Telegram channel, on the Telegram channel. Uh, I have a, a Telegram channel uh, for those who don't know. Um, inshallah, the brothers can share you the links. Um, so one of the posts I put out there was, Worship hard, but also worship smart. Right? Worship smart. Yes, you know, because a lot of the times we worship hard, and because it's hard, then we give up. But the days that you can't worship hard, worship smart, right? And the beautiful thing about worshiping smart is you can even do it on the days that you worship hard, <laughs> right? It's just amazing, right? So for example, if you just say, Subhanallah wa bihamdi, Subhanallah al-Azim, that's a smart thing to say. Because Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that that is light on the tongue, beloved to Allah, heavy on the scales. Amazing. Amazing. Right? Um, that's worshipping Allah smart. Right? Worshipping hard might entail a one hour dua. But you can't make dua for one hour every day. So you worship Allah smart. You make dua in a smart way. You say, oh Allah, I ask you upon me and all those who I uh, consider important to me and, and love to include in my dua, I ask you for all of us, all that which Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam asked you to give him. And I ask you to protect us from all that which Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam asked you to protect him from. Oh Allah, shower upon us your mercy. I think in this class we discussed the importance of asking Allah for mercy. Right? I say, Allah, be merciful upon me. Right? Because you're asking Allah for everything that is considered merciful. Alhamdulillah. Right? They say, Allah, shower upon us mercy. This, it's short. It's not, it doesn't need one hour. But that's worshipping smart. That's being comprehensive. So in the same way, my dear brothers and sisters, we need to be smart um, when we worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and, and, and look after this, this important lesson that we gain from the salah. Right? That the salah uh, entails... Um, the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the beginning till the end. Now, we have about 10 minutes left. I wanted to go into the blessings of salah. Inshallah, we'll do that in the next lesson. Uh, but for today's remaining moments, uh, allow me to use them in just sharing some issues that we should uh, concentrate on. Uh, especially with regards to salah, especially uh, you know when you're a da'wah worker. Uh, point number one, it's a message to myself first and foremost as always is, that, you know, in working in the da'wah, uh, you shouldn't be the one who's late for salah. It shouldn't be that the young people or the elderly people in the community, they've started the salah with the imam, and then the imam makes the salam, and then people look back uh, because they want to leave the masjid, 
and they see you standing up to complete the prayer all the time. Sometimes it's fine, right? But all the time, this is not good, brothers and sisters. As I said, you guys are role models. You guys are role models, right? Um, so you have that added responsibility. You have that added responsibility, right? So, you know, for example, it, uh, you know, I was asked by a brother the other day, and he said, Sheikh, can I listen to an Ashid with beatboxing? So I said, look, you are the head of a da'wah organization, right? If you listen to an Ashid, even if we said beatboxing was okay, but if, if you were listening to stuff which was questionable, and somebody came to visit you, and they, they didn't ask you, is this beatboxing, and they thought it's actually music, because some beatboxing is extreme. What do you think will happen? They will say, well, if that guy who runs a DAO organization can listen to music, so can I. Right? If you're going to run your course with mixed seating, for example, right, going against the Sunnah, right, uh, people will say, well, that DAO organization, they, you know, they intermingle and mix, so our weddings can be intermingled and mixed. And brothers and sisters, if you think this is a fairy tale, you better, you know, rub your eyes and um, pat your cheeks and wake up, because it's not a fairy tale. This is a reality. You know, excuse the, the colloquial English. But you know what I mean. This, this is a reality. Communities are, you know, they, this is what they use to justify their actions. So we must understand that there are repercussions. There's repercussions. If we're always seen standing up, always as a habit, khalas, the new generation will say, well, this is our role model. This teenager so-and-so, or this 20-year-old so-and-so, you're a role model to the 5-year-old, the 4-year-old, the 6-year-old, right? They say, well, that's what they do, so it's fine. It doesn't seem like a bad thing, right? So there's repercussions, brothers and sisters, especially when you work in the da'wah. And I'm not saying this only if you're working in the da'wah. All Muslims shouldn't make it a habit to be late for the prayer and then uh, having to always be standing up at the end. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive us. So this is a point. Um, the other thing, my dear brothers and sisters, is uh, especially when you run the conference events, the courses, um, I understand that you know what happens is sometimes it's difficult uh, for you to, to pray the salah with the first jama'ah because you're taking care of security matters. Maybe it's lunchtime at the course or at the conference, you're receiving the caterers or whatever. But make it a point out of courtesy to... Uh, explain to people that the ideal thing is to pray your salah on time and uh, today what you saw from some of the volunteers was because of A, B, C, D and E. So, you know, you've cleared the doubts in any of the people who've, who've, who've seen you do what you've done, you know, who've seen the action, your delay. Yes, you have a valid excuse in the sharia, right? It's your right to delay, but it's your responsibility now to explain to the people, especially in this day and age. Especially since there's a good chance that even one person or even half a person is going to take what you did as, as a sunnah for them for the rest of their life. Right? So understand the responsibility. Nobody wants that burden on their shoulders. Nobody wants that burden on their shoulders. If, for example, you're traveling and you've joined the prayer, explain to the people so that they don't, they don't just don't, don't think that they'll just figure it out. Right? No. Explain to the people. Tell them, look, people, I'm Musafir I, and I joined the prayers. I wasn't feeling well. I knew I, I, knew I was going to be really busy. and So I've, I've joined the Salah. You know, you guys go ahead. Uh, but don't just leave it up in the air. Right? Because there is a responsibility uh, upon us, my dear brothers and sisters. So this is just something more specific to the da'wah scene um, that we should uh, develop uh, an acute understanding about. Um, especially given how volatile the da'wah scene is, wallahi, it, it is volatile, 
you know, mashallah, it's good to see so many people wanting to do, to do da'wah, but sadly, we have a lot of people doing da'wah who are not qualified to, um, and, you know, um, whilst it's good from one end, uh, there's a lot of harm from the other end, because why we are now nurturing the next generation to lack ideals, right? And that's why we've started the Zad al-Ma'ad class, and we said it's especially for those working in the da'wah, because we said we need something to give the people which uh, fills up their tanks and keeps them motivated to continue worshipping Allah in the work that they do, number one. And number two, to make them effective role models. Make them effective role models. And even this book that we're reading, it's not enough that you've just heard Hisham read it. You need to read it yourself before class. And you need to read this book again, maybe twice, maybe thrice. Right? Make, put it in your plans. Cite it as homework. You have to read it again, my dear brothers and sisters. Right? It can't be a case whereby... I've read it once and that's it. No, it won't stick. And that's not the way to acquire knowledge. And that's not the way to develop. Right? So, um, take care of these matters, my dear brothers and sisters. Inshallah, when we return next week, we will go into the ideals or the, the blessings and fadl and uh, benefits of the prayer. Uh, and then after that, we'll continue with our reading, inshallah, and move into some of the uh, voluntary prayers of the Prophet and his guidance with regards to that. Once again, my dear brothers and sisters, a sincere apology from me, from the bottom of my heart, for the change in schedule. Your time is important. I really value your time. And um, please have a look at your email where I offered my explanation uh, as to what's happened and why we need to have these Tuesday classes just for uh, this week and next week. And then inshallah, we will go back to normal. Uh, Some of you have asked in when are the classes ending. Uh, The last class, I believe, for this semester. uh, Bismillah. Let me just pull those dates for you. The last class um, is looking to be on, Bismillah. Um, on Saturday the 19th. Saturday the 19th of December. And then we will resume in, in, in February, inshallah. The second weekend of February, inshallah. Okay? So this is what it's looking for now. 19th of um, uh, December. If we can fit in another week, it's all depending on... Um, um, a few um, or some of the scheduling that I'm already committed to, I will let you know. But for now, um, just for your own notes, we can set it for the 19th of December. Bi'idhnillahi ta'ala. Brothers and sisters, as always, there's forums for you to work on, share ideas, uh, you know, uh, in and so on and so forth. Uh, questions, if you have questions, you can ask there. Uh, we're happy to answer your questions, inshallah. I love you all for the sake of Allah. And ask Allah to bless us, to forgive us, to inspire us, and to make the sitting heavy on our scales. May Allah make it heavy on our scales. Wallahi, it, it, it only matters if Allah accepts from us. It only matters if Allah accepts from us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from us. And we have good hope in Allah. We have good hope in Allah. That Allah will accept from us, inshallah. Until next time, may Allah preserve us in His obedience. Ameen. Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanallahi wa bihamdihi. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Nashadu an la ilaha illa ant. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.